Good morning, everybody. Those of you online as well who are watching on uh, either live right now or or on demand, um, we are in a series called Spirit. It's a series on the Holy Spirit, and so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter six. Uh, it's the fifth book in the Bible. If you grab one of our Bibles, for those of you who are here in the seat in front of you, it's on page 182 of those Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter six. While you're turning to that passage, I, um, I will remind you that one of our core values at Five Oaks is that understanding the Bible and our place in God's story doesn't have to be a mystery. And so when we gather, we study, and we learn the Bible, we listen for the Holy Spirit to speak through His Word, and we reflect on our part in that story, in God's story. So let's ask God to lead us, the Spirit, to illuminate his word for us. So please pray the prayer on the screen uh, out loud with me. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, illumine the sacred page, we pray, that our minds may be open to receive your word, our hearts taught to love it, and our wills strengthened to obey it through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So for thousands of years, and I mean thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed a prayer that are found in these verses uh, that we're looking at today. Uh, the name of this prayer, of this passage, is named after the first word in the Hebrew Bible. And the first word is Shema. So it's called the Shema. And the word means listen um, or, or hear. We spent uh, yesterday evening after the service, we went out and saw a play with some of our neighbors, our next door neighbors. And uh, he grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home. And he was asking me, what am I preaching on? And I told him about this. And he says, oh yes, my, uh, my grandfather would pray that prayer. And so would I. I said, uh, and how was it? He said, it was very difficult to do it every day. <laughs> and he actually, he said he did not like doing it uh, every day. Um, but this is a prayer that Jesus would have prayed every morning and evening of his entire life. And so let's look at the passage. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. When Jesus was asked his opinion on what is the most important commandment in the Bible, the first half of his answer quoted this passage, this passage that he would have prayed every morning and evening of his life. Now in this passage, God calls us to love him with all, all, our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, but we don't. We don't. Um, certainly not in that all-encompassing type of way that this passage is talking about. Our love for God is sometimes absent, uh, oftentimes limited, and many times divided. We're loving him, but other things are kind of right there next to him in our lives. That kind of life, love is not only um, absent, limited, or divided in our lives, we've, 
proven incapable of loving God that way. This was no surprise to God when he gave this as a prayer. He put provisions in his word, and we'll look at them in a few moments, for all those times when we don't love in this way. Uh, so it didn't take him by, by surprise, but it, you know, at best, we maybe get you know, a spurt or a sprint where we love this way, but then we kind of go back to some of our old ways. So right around the time that I was writing these words, uh, preparing for my sermon, I had a, an Apple station on. It was a song that I liked earlier, and I, so I set it for a station on Apple Music, and so I was playing a bunch of music that was very similar to that song. And the song that came on, I'd never heard it before, I'd never heard of it before, it's called Sucker's Prayer. And I really wasn't paying attention to what it was saying until it repeated over and over again, kind of the subject that I was writing about at that point. It said, I want to love somebody, but I don't know how. I want to love somebody, but I don't know how. Four, five, six times in the song. So I looked up the lyrics, and it's a deeply despairing and very, very dark song. Does God's story, the Bible story, does it offer hope for the despair expressed in this song? Um, absolutely, it, it does. But it doesn't really offer hope until we come to a more despairing conclusion. <laughs> and that is, even if we learn how to love somebody, we will prove incapable of doing it well, of really doing it well. So many times we find ourselves doing the opposite of what love really is. With the people that we love most, sometimes our words that come out of our mouths are words that tear down instead of build up. So oftentimes our minds are set on desires that are opposed to God and who God wants us to be and who we want to be in God. And we fail at, just think of this time of the year where we're already failing at so many of the resolutions that we had when we started out the year, if you had any at all. And maybe if you didn't have them, it was because, well, so, for so many of us, because we know we're going to come to this time of the month and see that we failed at them. We kind of like to return to our old ruts and ways of being and thinking and living and using our time. So according to the Bible storyline, this inability to love with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength leads to deep personal pain. It leads to brokenness in our own lives and in our relationships. And then that emanates from us into the rest of our world, the world that we, that we live in. And so according to the Bible storyline, the deep personal pain that we experience, the brokenness that we experience stems from our inability to love God with all of our heart and soul and strength. So this is a human problem. This is a problem, a personal problem that we have, and then it becomes a human problem that we have. And we discover that it's not just our problem, it's everybody else's problem. And so in our lives, we're oftentimes the victim of this lack of love, and other times we are contributors to this lack of love. And so we come to the point where Hopefully, we come to the point, if we think deeply enough about this, we come to the point where we cry out the prayer that the Apostle Paul cries out while reflecting on this in Romans chapter 7, where he says, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. 
And to paraphrase what he says next after that, this paraphrase of it, who will rescue me from this inability to love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength? So the Bible's answer to our inability to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength is heart surgery. And the surgeon is the Holy Spirit. So we're starting with the heart because one of the main things that the Holy Spirit does is this surgery on our hearts. And this, this storyline is so central in the Bible that it's everywhere. It permeates the entire story. Not always with that language, but in many different ways it talks about this heart problem. So in this second week of our series, four-week series on the Holy Spirit, we're going to touch down on two very important themes in God's storyline. We're going to start with the heart. So we're going to look at the heart theme, and then we're going to look at the spirit theme as it develops in Scripture. And then we're going to look at a couple of places where the two themes intersect. And it's at the point where they intersect that we see most clearly our need for heart surgery and for the surgeon, the Holy Spirit. We start with the heart. We're going to start with the heart, then look at the spirit, and then we're going to see where, they're intersect, where they intersect. So uh, as I often do when I need to introduce a big, gigantic theme in the quickest way possible, I turn to the Bible Project, and we're going to look at the Bible Project's uh, video on heart in their Shema series. And so let's, uh, let's oh, oh, before I do that, I forgot. There's a graphic in your outlines. And so uh, they're going to get to explaining what this graphic is, because when the Bible speaks about heart, it speaks of it in a way that's a little bit broader than the way that we think of heart. It would include uh, aspects of what we think of our mind, that, you know, things that are happening up here. And so it's, a, it's, it's broader than that. And then it goes deeper into our, our desires. And so uh, we need to understand when the Bible talks about heart, what it means. What did the Hebrew person hear when this was said, love God with all your heart. All right, so let's watch the video now. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. 
for example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. All right, so that's a lot of information packed in there, so I want to draw your attention to a couple of things that he says in the video. One is, in the Bible, the, the, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence. As in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Your whole life flows out of your heart. Why would it say your whole life flows out of your heart? Because it's talking about the center of our intellect. It's talking about the center of our emotions. It's talking about the center of our wills, the choices that we make based on the desires that are in our heart. Guard your thinking, it's saying. Guard your emotions. Guard your desires. Be careful what you think about. Um, be careful where your emotions, where you allow your emotions to take you. Be careful about the loves that you cultivate in your life. Why? Because the whole life flows out of your intellect, your emotions, and your loves. So it's a very comprehensive, comprehensive term. The second statement that I want to draw your attention to is this one. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind. Um, by the way, the soul 
in that verse, it means your physical self. Just almost the exact opposite of what we understand it as. But in Hebrew, and you can just see every place where it occurs, it, it means something more than what we think of. So, uh, devote your whole body and mind, your feelings and your desires, your future, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord God with all your heart. To love God with all your heart means to devote yourself, to surrender your whole body, your mind, your desires, your feelings to God every day, every moment of every day. So the people who prayed this prayer every morning and every evening failed to love like this, and the result was, in their land, was injustice, personal brokenness, and brokenness at every level of society. So in the book of Deuteronomy, where this verse is given and where this prayer is, is stated, and, and really it's like a vision statement for everything that's going to follow in Deuteronomy, the laws that are going to follow, uh, God says, everything that's going to flow, everything I'm going to tell you here is going to follow from this. It's going to be in alignment with what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. But it doesn't um, just talk about everything following from that. He says halfway through, he says, if you will live this way, there will be no poor people among you. Saying there's going to be, this is going to be a just society. This is going to be a good society. This is going to be a generous type of society. And by the time he gets to the end of Deuteronomy, he begins to talk about the fact that their hearts are going to stray. And he begins to talk about, you know, the verse that we saw, and we'll look at in a few moments again, where heart surgery is going to be needed by God's people. And the reality is it's not just God's people in the Bible. It's true for every single one of us. We fare no better when it comes to loving God in this way. Um, so that's the heart. That's the heart. Now, the spirit. Remember, they're going to intersect in a few moments. That's the key point that we're, we're going to. We already got a, a little bit of a, 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 of a preview of it in that video. But um, we're going to see where, what it says about the spirit. And then when it intersects, that's the place where there is hope for us. That's where, the place where there is good news uh, for us, really good news. Because this is kind of, up to this point, maybe a little bit depressing when we look this deeply into our lives. So uh, the spirit is what we're looking at now. I'm going to show you the first part of the Bible Project video on spirit. Let's watch it. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but what is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. <sighs> so you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That too is ruach. 
And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, Ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yeah. All right, we're going to stop right there. Um, now, in this, in this video, even by the time it gets to the end, just, just to keep in mind, uh, it isn't until we get to the New Testament that we start seeing that the Holy Spirit uh, the way that Jesus talks about the Spirit uh, and the way that the apostles speak about the Spirit, they speak of, about the Spirit as a person. And, and so, you know, it's, it's something that the church had to grapple with afterwards. We, we, we worship one God. Um, there seems to be more than just this idea of the Spirit as just being kind of an emanation from God the Father. Um, and we begin to realize that, no, there are three persons within God. We have the Trinity. We have this, this perfect relationship within God himself, one God in three persons. But I want to call attention to a couple of things uh, or a few things from this, from this video uh, because, again, it's packed. It says to start, uh, really, to, to understand the Spirit, you have to start on page one of the Bible where the uncreated world is depicted as dark, chaotic place, but then above the chaos, God's spirit is there hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. All right, so that takes us all the way back to the first page of the Bible. We spent quite a few weeks on the first page of the Bible back in uh, the fall. And here's what it says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the, sea, of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, we, we looked at the first half of that sentence in the fall, and we saw that how, for the Hebrew mind, this is a foreboding passage. If you were here, you might remember, talked about that Geico commercial where they're running through the woods and they go and hide behind the... Um, the chainsaws, <laughs> you know, and it's like it's using every horror movie in a comical way. It's using every horror movie trope that could possibly they could think of for this commercial from movies and stories. And so we talked about for the Hebrew mind when it's the world before the first day of creation happens. What's what's there is this this really foreboding chaotic, because all those kinds of terms, this, this darkness, 
and um, this, uh, this formless and empty, that phrase is used later of, of a land that's been scorched where everybody is dead, filled with dead bodies, this kind of language, formless and empty darkness, a deep abyss, which is what that, that, that over the waters, the word that's used is, is, is a word of, of the scary deep abyss, it's a different word actually than the final word, which is he was hovering over the waters. Already when God's spirit comes, then it starts talking about water more as that thing that we drink as opposed to that scary deep abyss. So it's trying to create this sense of chaos and disorder that the world is without God and the work of creation, the order that he is going to bring in through creation. And, um, and so the Spirit of God there is hovering. And the word for hovering is used exclusively in, in the, Hebrew, the rest of the Hebrew Bible. It's used of birds, like, like hovering over a nest. And, and so you have this, this beautiful picture, this calming picture of God's Spirit is about to do work uh, on this chaos. Next, next phrase. The Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. So that word ruach is a word that in daily conversation would have been used to talk about the breath that's coming out of my mouth. And you can feel, if you put your hand in front of your mouth and you say breath, you feel the breath coming. And so it also referred to wind. And so in, in Hebrew, the word for spirit, it's not like our word for spirit, which doesn't mean breath or wind. Uh, the word that they use for spirit is a, um, is a word that speaks of wind and breath. Another one, just like wind, ruach, and breath, ruach, are invisible, God's spirit, ruach, is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all life. And you see that interplay of when speaking of God's spirit and then the interplay, again, in the Hebrew of that word being used with breath of life that God brings and God's spirit bringing the breath of life into us or removing the breath of life or no longer breathing life uh, into us or into uh, a people. All right, another one was uh, God's Ruach gives special empowerment to people for specific tasks. All right, so you see this extend into, they give the Old Testament examples, but it extends into the New Testament where the Holy Spirit gifts God's people so that we can build each other up in the body and equip each other uh, and encourage each other. And so we see how the Holy Spirit works within us uh, now. And one more, um, here's the problem as the prophet saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. That's Genesis chapter 3. It's the problem that the Bible presents, and the rest of the Bible is the answer to that problem. So they've unleashed chaos into it, into this good world, through their injustice which is really in the Bible spoken of as another kind of disorder. So this new type of disorder, this chaos of injustice and evil, comes from our disordered hearts. So let's look at the part of the story of God where the heart and the spirit 
intersect, where the good news is, where the hope is, the place where we can get direction for our lives. What do we do now with the, with the fact that I want to love, but I don't know how, or when I learn how, I prove myself incapable of loving fully and as well as, as I want to. Uh, so I stopped the video at the point where the heart and the spirit intersect. Um, before we watch uh, this last clip, though, I want to I look at some of those passages quickly uh, that they're going to be referring to. I think they're going to be referring to all these passages. And yeah, they are in this, in, this, in this video, this intersection of the heart and the spirit. So one of them is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So at the end of the book that presents the Shema, it says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. This is after you have failed. You are going to fail. And the Lord God will circumcise your hearts in the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So this anticipates failure, but it looks forward to a day when God is going to do surgery on our hearts. God is going to do the surgery on our hearts. Um, this doesn't catch God by surprise. When he said love this way, it doesn't catch God by surprise that we prove incapable of really loving uh, in this way or at least doing it consistently. It speaks of a heart surgeon, and the surgeon is God. So much later than Deuteronomy, hundreds of years later, the prophet Jeremiah speaks at a time when the landscape is, again, formless and void. Wild and waste are the words, another way of translating that. When the landscape is wild and waste because the Babylonians have come in and have leveled things and have destroyed things and taken exiles, taken people to live in exile. So um, this, is, this is what he says in that time. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So this is speaking of, in a sense, a kind of surgery that is going to take place where God is going to put his law which is his way into our minds and write it into the hearts of his people. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel comes at it from a little bit of a different angle, but saying the same thing. He says, I will sprinkle, God is saying, I will sprinkle uh, clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So he's talking here about kind of a, a transplant of sorts. And while he says in this passage, I'm going to give you a new spirit within you, it's in the next chapter of Ezekiel that we learn that behind all this is God the Holy Spirit and God the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to do the heart surgery. And question number four in your reflection questions in your sermon application guide gets to that passage. You read the first 14 verses of the next passage, the Valley of Dry Bones. It's a vision that Ezekiel has, and it shows you who is behind the bringing about this surgery in our hearts. All right, so now let's finish the video where it pulls some of this together for us. Let's watch.
Here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. All right, so I've got several other highlights. I'm not going to cover them here, but they're in your, in your worship, um, in your sermon application guide. And, and I've included a lot of information in there so you can kind of retrace kind of the steps because there's a lot of information uh, that I've been dropping on you today. And if it's new to you, it's way too much uh, for one day. If it's not too new to you, it might pull it together for you in some ways that maybe it hasn't before. So here's where we come to where we enter the story. Uh, what direction does this give for our lives? All right, we now know or are, have been reminded that we have these hearts that should be fully devoted to God, that that would result in a world of justice and goodness, uh, but our hearts are divided. We don't love with all of our heart in the way that we should. And uh, we not only not know how to love sometimes, we are incapable of loving in the way that we know we should love. So um, God is bringing, bring, has brought his spirit uh, into our lives if we follow Jesus. And there is heart surgery that is taking place, going to take place, all of that. So where are we in this story? Well, so the first thing is that here, here's where we are in the story. We have to receive the heart-transforming spirit. And the way that we receive the heart-transforming spirit, the Bible tells us, is by putting our faith in what Jesus did for us, what we were incapable of doing. Jesus comes and he lives that life of love. He not only prays that prayer, he actually lives it every day of his life, every moment of his life. And then he goes to the cross and he takes the death. So he lives the life we should have lived, and then he takes the death that we deserve because we've turned from God. And it's very clear, if you, you turn from me, it's going to result in death. 
He takes the death that we deserve. And he takes the condemnation that we, have, that we deserve. He takes it on himself on the cross. He rises from the dead. And then he offers us that new kind of life as well. We can, we can have his rightness by putting our faith in him. We can have our sins cleansed and washed away because we've put our faith in him. We can look forward to a new life like his in the resurrection and we will be someday, we will receive our resurrection bodies and we will be complete in him that that day is coming. So we have to receive, we have to put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we receive this heart transforming Holy Spirit. Number two, we live in confident anticipation. We live in confident anticipation of a completely new heart that we're going to receive when Jesus returns in the new creation. It, this permeates the whole story of the New Testament, okay? So this is like rock solid. You can't understand the Bible if you don't understand that we are living between two great events. Jesus coming and bringing his kingdom and the complete fulfillment of that when he returns. What theologians call the already and the not yet. And so work is already being done. It's not like we're just waiting. Um, and in scripture, the word hope doesn't mean, well, we kind of hope that someday maybe this is going to happen. No, it is a confident anticipation. We let that permeate our lives. We live in confident anticipation that a day is coming when we are going to receive completely new hearts. The words of Ezekiel, we're going to receive completely new hearts. What do we do in the meantime? That gets to the third part of this. We cooperate with the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we await the new creation. So God's Spirit is working. God the Holy Spirit is working in our lives now, transforming our lives. Um, just one little example. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What's fruit? It's the produce it's what is produced in a life that is lived in the way that he explains right before that, in the Spirit, a life in the Spirit. So we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So one of the ways that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our lives, in fact, I'd say it's the primary way when you see it in the way that kind of this broad sense that the Bible gives us is by uh, doing the practices that he's called us to do. Uh, by living in the practices that he's called us to do. And the practices are oftentimes called spiritual disciplines or rhythms or habits that we bring into our lives. Uh, some of them are rituals that we bring into our lives, rituals that we have for our personal life, rituals that we have for our families, rituals that we have as a uh, gathered community. In our story of God course, we talk about this broad sense of these practices under three different categories. We talk about connect practices, uh, which have to do with when we connect together, practices of worshiping together and encouraging one another and singing to one another, uh, songs that remind us of who we are and saying words to one another that remind us and encouraging one another and correcting one another, the, the life that happens together and serving one another, spiritual gifts that God has given us. So we talk about these connect practices and then we talk about deepening practices. And these have to do with 
practices that we carry out in our personal lives. And so we talk about deepening practices of prayer and deepening practices of scripture. We immerse our life in a life of prayer and scripture so that it washes over us and teaches us and gives us a way to live. And then the deepening practices of impact. We call it impacting the world for Christ. These are, these are spiritual practices that shape us. Not only impact our world, but they shape our hearts. They get us outside of ourselves. Practices like sharing our faith, the, the, the love of God with others, blessing other people with that. Uh, world missions, um, compassion, compassionate acts of compassion here right around us and with each other and with people in our neighborhoods and with organizations that, that we help and we participate with, but we get face to face with people living lives of compassion, pursuing justice in God's world. Those are the, the ways that we impact. So we have community practices, we have personal practices, we have these impact practices that are out in the world. But these practices will not change us if we simply see them as things we have to do. <laughs> we'll, we'll either be the kind of really disciplined person that gets a big kick out of doing a bunch of stuff and can click it off and that makes your life. And that's, that's a good thing to have in life. Or we're going to be on the other end where we just see that we just give up on them all the time. The scripture drives home over and over again, these are relational practices. These are things we do with Jesus. Amen. With Jesus. With God the Holy Spirit. With God the Father. These are things that we are doing in our lives with. They're relational practices. What's prayer if it's not that? What is gathering together if it's not that? What's even going where Christ has gone and where God, Christ is going and joining him in the work that he's doing in the world? Is seeing them as relational practices. And they're grace practices. They're given to us by God. It's a gift. The ability to pray is a gift. It's not a duty that I must perform. It's not a performance thing. It's, it's a gift that he speaks to us in his word. It's, it's seeing it as a gift. The ability to get out of myself, which, which is a prison to serve other people. It's a gift that God gives us. It's a gift. So these practices will have no effect on us until we see them, yet they are training. They train us in godliness. That's one of the ways the scripture speaks about it. But they're not the kind of training that just, you know, you just go, oh, you know, it can feel that way sometimes, but it's kind of constantly, we have to reframe it and understand these are gifts of God's grace. These are relational practices. These are what we do with Jesus. This is what we do with Jesus. The story that author Jenny Allen tells about going to SeaWorld with her family when her kids were young and her daughter was two years old. And she said when she didn't have her daughter in the stroller, her daughter would run, you know, everywhere. Those of you parent to two-year-olds know exactly what we're talking about. So it was a constant battle all day long to go grab her daughter, say, you have got to hold on to my hand. <laughs> You've got to hold on to my hand. And she said, this was a matter in some ways of life and death to hold on to my hand. It's like you're crossing a street with a little kid and we've got a, a, a rule with our grandkids. Hey, hand, that's the rule. When we cross the street, we're holding hands. 
And, and then it becomes this privilege where we're almost done. Okay, you can run now. Go. You know, that kind of a thing. She says she, later in the day, she had the daughter in the stroller. And her husband's pushing her. And she sees her son, who is older. And she reaches out to grab his hand. And he's like, like this. And she realizes a couple things probably going on there. So one of them is she's at that age. <laughs> We're holding mom's hand in public. Just doesn't, you know, feels a little bit embarrassing. But she says, you know, maybe what was also going through his mind is, this is mom controlling me. Because <laughs> he's been seeing it all day. This is mom treating me as a little tiny child and trying to control me. So she stopped, she got down on her knees, she grabbed his hands in her hands, and she says, would you hold my hand just because I love you and because I'm your mom? We look at the spiritual practices, and so many times we, we practice them as these duties that we have to carry out. And it's God reaching out his hand and saying, just, just join me in this. But to reframe it in our mind to what it really is, away from what we turn it into. That's where we are right now, and that's how God brings a transformation in our hearts. That's how he teaches us to love more consistently. How he helps us to do by the training that he brings into our life, what we cannot now do simply by reading a book or trying harder. He trains us. He changes us. He transforms us with the hope of a day when we will receive completely new hearts. So let's begin our response together to God's word by taking the bread of communion. Remembering what Jesus did for us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for what Jesus has done and that because of what Jesus did on that cross for us, we receive, when we put our faith in him, we receive you. We receive God, the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, that you are active. We thank you, God, for being active in our lives as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Change us, empower us, help us to see how we can grow in you and then place in us that desire to be closer to you, to come to know you better and better, to be changed by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.